good. So Leviticus uh, chapter 11, yeah, interesting passage of the Bible. Who, who here, kind of before today's reading, before uh, Bible study groups this week, who here has actually uh, read Leviticus chapter 11 before? Okay, that's good. Quite a few. Pretty good. Oh, that's surprising, actually. Um, for, for other people, as, as the, uh, Denise was reading out the Bible just then, who of you kind of switched off a little and thought, yeah, this is, this sounds really odd. This, this is a bit of a bizarre part of the Bible here. I mean, what, God, what are you saying here? It, it really is an interesting uh, part of the Bible. Uh, we, as kind of modern hearers, as non-Jews, uh, it feels so remote to us. And, you know, as, this week as I was preparing to speak on Leviticus chapter 11 and, and all those other laws in kind of chapters 12 to 15 relating to clean and unclean, I, I really must admit, uh, for a long time there, I, I was struggling to see just the relevance uh, of what was being said. You know, there, there's just so much detail in there. You know, some animals are, are okay to eat, others are not. Um, and I wasn't even sure what half of the animals actually were. I kind of had to look them up, but then Google wasn't always helpful because other people didn't really know uh, what half those animals were. Um, you know, what is the relevance for us uh, today? And, you know, we're, th- we're told animals like the bat are unclean, you can't eat it, and I must admit I, I wasn't really tempted in kind of getting the fry pan out and, and cooking up a bat for myself. Uh, what is God trying to get at uh, with all these laws relating to clean and unclean? You know, why are there some animals that I can touch and, and others are, are kind of off limits and they just pollute everything that comes in contact with them? You know, there's so many questions that you could ask here and that's just chapter 11. And... Like I said already, there's a whole bunch of other laws related to um, what's clean and what's unclean. And sometimes they seem over the top. Uh, you know, what you do when there's mould and mildew in the house, you have to call in the priest and they need to look around and uh, all this uh, stuff has to happen. What you do when you pick up kind of skin diseases, there's, there's a whole big process uh, that goes with that. And some of the laws, you, you may have read it, in uh, growth groups this week, some of the laws even seem offensive and, and are so politically incorrect that we as Christians, we, we kind of squirm um, and think, if an unbeliever comes across this part of the Bible, uh, what are we going to do? You know, in chapter 12, a woman is said to be unclean following childbirth. And you read something like that and, and you kind of have to take a second look and think, did the Bible really just say that? And again, we're told in chapter 15, uh, after a woman has a period, then she's classed as unclean. And, you know, if, if you're thinking it's a bit unfair on women, uh, men don't get let off the hook either. You know, any kind of discharge, past semen, any, any type stuff like that, and the man becomes uh, unclean as well. 
And also, when a couple have sex, both the man and the woman are said to be unclean. We read that and think, oh man, is that really uh, what it says in the Bible? Whilst we'll just go and bury our heads in sand because we know we're going to cop it from all quarters. But like Dave already mentioned, this it is in the Bible. It's here. Uh, and the Bible is God's timeless word. And it's God's timeless word for us today. It contains our wisdom for us. It contains instruction. And it contains words of encouragement. So what we're going to do, we're going to focus in on chapter Leviticus chapter 11. And we'll try and make sense of what this is saying. Firstly, for the Old Testament Jew. Uh, and then for the rest of us who, who are living uh, this side of Jesus' death and resurrection. Before we go any further, I think it would be good to pray. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. And Lord, we, we come to Leviticus uh, chapter 11 and, and the, the rest of the unclean and clean uh, laws. And Lord, we, we read it and it's difficult for us to understand uh, what relevance it would have for us today and so lord and pray that you would give us uh, understanding pray that you'd give me clarity as i teach uh, your word and lord give us all soft hearts uh, to to receive uh, your word as the truth and let us block out uh, any distractions that we might have right now amen Now, like I said already, there's so many laws relating to what's clean and what's unclean, but we just don't have the time to go through every single detail that's there. I mean, we'd we'd be here all afternoon if we we, um, were going to do that. So what we'll do, go through uh, first half of chapter 11, kind of the food laws, look at those uh, a bit more in depth, and hopefully some of the principles we we kind of... um, get there will help us to understand uh, some of the other cleanliness laws when, we, when you kind of go about and read that uh, on your own in your own time. So what are the uh, food laws all about? You know, we, we read these food laws and, and they seem quite detailed and specific. So a whole bunch of animals are named as unclean and clean. Uh, and these animals, they're broken up into three categories. So ones that live on the land, ones that live on the sea, and those that uh, live in the air or are a bit of a hybrid of kind of land and air. So for those that live on the land, the distinction between clean and unclean, uh, food for, for the Israelites to eat, it's fairly straightforward in, in, in many senses. So if you look at verse 3, you may eat any animal that has a divided hoof and that chews the cud. So on that basis, various animals are out, various animals are in, um, cattle, uh, things like you know, cows, lambs, bulls, all, all that type stuff. Good, chew the card uh, and have a split hoof. Um, things like the camel, the coney, the rabbit, all those type things, they're ruled out because they only satisfy one of the two cr- criteria. And so something like a pig, uh, although it chews the card, it doesn't have split hooves, so 
you know, think kind of bacon, ham, pork, all that type stuff. It's ruled out, you can't eat it because uh, it doesn't have a split hoof. But choose the card. No, it, sorry, I'm getting mixed up here. It does have a split hoof, you know that, uh, but it doesn't chew the card. In terms of seafood, again, the distinction between what's clean and unclean is pretty straightforward. So verse 9, of all the creatures living in the water of the seas and the streams, you may eat any that have fins and scales. So again, any uh, standard fish that kind of wriggles through the water with fins, they're all good. Anything else? Uh, I don't know if you guys love seafood or not. I do. All that tasty stuff, calamari, prawns, lobsters, can't go near it. Um, it was unclean uh, for the Israelites. Now, some of you, in your translations, uh, you might even have a different word there and might say that, uh, so my version of the NIV, it says that those things, those unclean things, are, are to be regarded as detestable uh, to you. And, uh, and I think that's probably a better word uh, which captures the attitude that the Israel, Israelites were to have in regard to these unclean animals in particular. Um, and and not, o- not only these animals, but also all the other unclean things that we've spoken about in kind of chapters 12 to 15. So that was supposed to be detestable, gross. You, you couldn't stand to be near them. You know, but, but you think, oh, what if there's a, got a big, fat, juicy garlic prawn sitting right there? Nah, no way. It's off limits, detestable. Next, we're given birds of the air and flying insects. And and with these, the distinction between um, clean and unclean, it's a bit harder to work out. All that we're getting for the birds is is a bit of a list of the unclean ones. So you see that in verse um, 13. Uh, Eagle, vulture, a whole bunch of owls, uh, ostrich. There you see it. Bat as well. Now, again, what are we to make of this stuff? So, some things are unclean, um, some are clean. You can eat it. Uh, there's all these foods that the Israelites could and couldn't eat. Uh, there were foods for them that were clean, foods for them that were unclean. Uh, and like we've said a number of times already, in many ways it's fairly straightforward. God kind of tells you if, if, if something has this characteristic, it's okay. If, if it doesn't, then it's not okay. Land animal, if it chews the card and has a split hoof, all good. Sea animals, it's got fins and scales, get stuck into them. For birds of the air, as long as it's not those kind of birds of prey that's kind of listed out there, go for it. I think the, the real question that needs to be asked is why? Why, God, did you give Israel these particular food laws? And what about all those other unclean laws? Why, God, did you hand them out? What was God trying to teach the Israelites at this particular point in history? So some people um, think that God gave these laws to Israel uh, for hygienic reasons. And, and you look through the list and, and, and you think, oh yeah, there might be some truth in that. Um, some kind of animals might, be, uh, might carry less diseases than others. 
But the thing is, hygiene alone doesn't explain all, or, or even a majority, of, of these cleanliness laws. You know, think about it, you cook up any seafood the wrong way and, and things are going to go bad. You know, others think that uh, God gave these laws for Israel so that they would be different to the kind of pagan nations around them. And yes, while Israel was a holy nation chosen by God and set apart um, from the nations around them, again, it, it comes through uh, that these laws were given simply so that they would be different. You know, if, if God wanted them to be totally different from the nations around them, why would he asked them to sacrifice a bull as, as a burnt offering to make atonement for sins. So we know that other uh, kind of ancient Near East cultures uh, use bulls in their pagan rituals. So why then was Israel given these laws? I think the first thing to note here is that unclean does not necessarily equate to sinfulness. So you hear that? Unclean does not equate to sin. Now, of course, it could be sin. Uh, If you're unclean, this came as a direct uh, rebellion against uh, God's holy orders. But amongst the animals themselves, in childbirth, when a woman has a period, uh, when people have sex, there's nothing inherently evil um, about those things that, that would make someone unclean. And from other parts of the Bible... Well, we know about children. We know that they're a gift uh, from God. Uh, we know that barrenness, even today, uh, is a great sorrow. And to have many kids uh, equivocal is a great blessing. Um, and, and if you read through um, kind of the verses about a woman's period, there's never any indication that it's a sinful or evil thing in and of itself. Yeah, and sex, what well, we know about sex, sex is a great gift from God, and it, indeed it's commanded there uh, in the first chapter of the Bible, be fruitful and multiply. And yeah, even the way in which these animals are presented to us in Leviticus chapter 11, it's meant to remind us that in and ourselves there's nothing inherently evil or unclean about these animals. So notice again, there's a bit of a threefold division of these animals. So there's ones that move along the ground, uh, creatures of the sea, uh, and birds that move in the air. So do, when, when you kind of think about those three things, does that remind you uh, of anything at all? That kind of division? Land, sea, air? Yeah, creation. Uh, so you read Leviticus Uh, 11, the way um, animals are described there. And your thoughts are supposed to go back to Genesis chapter 1. And and from Genesis chapter 1, what we know of these animals, well, they were good. God created them, and they were part of God's good creation. There is nothing inherently evil uh, about the pig or the bat or the eagle, because God created them after all. So why then did God give these food laws and all those other laws? Uh, the first thing to say is that it's not because uh, animals or childbirth or sex are evil things in and of themselves. So why did God give them? I think a big clue 
for us comes in verses 43 to 45. So flick ahead there, I'll read along. Do not defile yourselves by any of these creatures. Do not make yourselves unclean by means of them or be made unclean by them. I am the Lord your God. Consecrate yourselves and be holy because I am holy. Do not make yourselves unclean by any creature that moves along the ground. I am the Lord who brought you up out of Egypt to be your God. Therefore, be holy because I am holy. So, something that these laws tell us is that God is holy. That's um, a big reason uh, why God set up these laws. So, Israel uh, was to be holy primarily because God was holy. So out of all the gods that existed, their God was the one true God. He was to be revered and feared uh, because he was the truly upright one. He was truly righteous and he was truly perfect. So Israel, in, in the way that they lived and related to God, they were to reflect his holy character. Israel was set apart from all the nations of the world to be God's special people. The holy God who had chosen them demanded holiness from these people because he himself was holy and perfect. And so these laws were supposed to be an outward expression of their trust in this holy God. So so they were supposed to bring forth holiness in the Israelites, which would in turn point back to God's holy character. And also the flip side of these laws are taught that uh, unholy or unclean was a big problem. So if God is holy and his people are unholy, then there's, there's big issues there. We've been dealing with that tension all the way throughout Leviticus. The problem of unclean um, sets us up for the, the kind of cleansing that's going to take place on the Day of Atonement. And so that's something we're going to look into next week. Now, being unclean, it's a big problem because uh, you're cut off from the people. And worse still, it means that you're cut off um, from access to God. So not being able to enter into his presence, not being able to worship him and offer sacrifices at the tabernacle. Being unclean is a big problem and cleansing rituals had to be performed to make someone clean again. And what else did these laws teach? They taught that holiness was an all-of-life thing. Holiness was an all-of-life thing. So because these laws are so comprehensive, covering all parts of life, you wouldn't have been able to do very much without having to dwell upon God's holiness and your own lack of holiness. So imagine... Imagine being an Israelite for a second. You know, you wake up and you notice on the wall over there there's, there's a bit of a mark and, and, and you, you think to yourself, hold on, uh, is that a bit of mildew I see on the wall over there? So you walk over, um, take a closer look and, and no, it's all right. And it must have just been the kids going a bit wild uh, with their crayons. Phew, thank goodness for that because otherwise... It just would have been chaos. You would have had to get the exterminators in or, or otherwise known as the priests. Um, they would have had to check it out. There would have been a whole process there. 
So it's all right. No mildew on your wall there. Next, you decide, you know, it should, should get dressed. And you think to yourself, oh, actually, that T-shirt's been lying on the ground for a few days. I better check just in case if there's any... any might look a bit seedy. There might be a bit of mould on there. Should check. I don't want to be kind of made unclean so I can't worship God uh, at, at the tabernacle. So you check it. Thankfully, it's all good. Put your shirt on. Next thing, oh, great, it's time for breakfast. Um, feeling a bit hungry this morning. What a fry up. Find myself a bit of bacon egg roll. Nah, can't do it. That'll make me unclean. Won't be able to uh, offer sacrifices to God. Uh, gonna have to eat something else. Thankfully, got through that. You know, next, your friend comes knocking on the door, comes in, and, and you notice his, his face is. It's kind of a bit red and, and blotchy, and you think, oh man, hold on steady. Um, stay back a bit there. Is that, is that a boil or some kind of disease on your face there? I wouldn't, wouldn't want to make myself unclean. You know, you get the point, right? Um, as an Israelite, everywhere you, you went, you were consciously to live out um, for, you are consciously to live for the holy God who had saved you from a life of slavery. You know, all of your life was to be lived in wholehearted devotion to God. And you're always seeking uh, to honour Him, always seeking to remain holy and clean in His sight. You know, and it would have just been such so hard and, and so demanding to do that, to live that way. But that is the kind of devotion that God called upon His people. And I was just thinking about this. I was just wondering whether we've lost some of um, that in our own walk with God. So for the Israelite, wherever they went, wherever, whatever they did, wherever they walked, there were all these kind of visual reminders all over the spot. For, these reminders for them were that God was holy and they were unholy. All the time they were faced with these kind of signposts. Do I choose to defile myself? Do I choose to make myself unclean? Or do I choose to honour God? So if I... And, and, and if for some reason I do become unclean, then I know that I need God uh, to cleanse me so that I can be amongst His people again, so that I can offer sacrifices again. All the time, everywhere you went, there are all these visual reminders. So I wonder for us, I wonder for, for us today... Um, because we live under grace, I wonder if that's made us a bit casual or flippant towards God. You know, God still demands holiness from us today, and do we mock uh, that call by abusing His mercy upon us? You know, do we accept uh, His offer to make us holy through Jesus, but then turn around and reject any claims of holiness? That he has on us and our lives. For the Jew, though, they would have been all too aware of God's holiness and their own lack of it. They would have been all too aware of their need for God's mercy. And they would have been all uh, too aware of their need to be cleansed from their uncleanness. They had all these laws uh, by which they were to be made clean. 
But I think a, a lesson from history will show that Israel, they never quite lived up to the tag of being the holy people that God wanted them to be. So around a thousand years after Israel were given these laws, they were kicked out of the Holy Land. So they failed at living as God's people. They failed to keep his laws as God required. They failed to remain clean. Their guilty consciences and their need to continually have these ceremonial washings, that bore witness to their uncleanness. So their their external uncleanness revealed a deeper internal uncleanness before God. So they were stained by sin. They were wrapped in sin. And it's these kind of deeper issues of uncleanness that the prophets seem to focus more and more upon as the underlying problem for Israel. At high school, I was never uh, very good at English. So when it came to doing a unit on poetry and kind of Shakespeare, I I did kind of struggle a bit. Uh, But I do remember uh, studying Macbeth at one point, uh, probably because we watched a movie of it during class time one time. That, That really got us interested. And, you know, so there's Lady Macbeth. She's that callous, kind of conniving, murderous woman doing anything uh, that she possibly could to get her own way and, and to get her husband uh, on the throne. And there's one particular scene uh, that kind of I remember. So there's this point in the movie um, when she really starts to get a sense of her own guilt. Because that scene, you know, she's furiously scrubbing away at her hands. And the thing is, her hands are clean. They're pure white. But, of course, it's not kind of the physical blood that she's trying to cleanse herself of. It's that kind of internal blood-stained guilt of her murderous ways that she's trying so hard to rid herself of. Our damn spot, she says to herself. But try as she may, she's just never able to remove that internal bloody guilt of hers. You know, the food and the, the cleanliness laws are always designed to point to the greater cleansing of the heart that's required if we're to be God's people. And so you think of Jesus in the New Testament. In Mark chapter 7, he confirms this deeper significance to the laws in Leviticus. In Mark chapter 7, Jesus has just been challenging the Pharisees about their superficial relationship with God, their superficial worship of him. You know, they they care more to adhere to kind of old, age-old traditions than serve and honour God with their whole hearts. And then in verse 18, we, we see Jesus explaining his conversation with the Pharisees to the disciples. So um, let me read out. Uh, Mark chapter 7 from verse 18. Don't you see that nothing that enters a person from the outside can defile them? For it doesn't go into their heart, but into their stomach and then out out of the body. In saying this, Jesus declared all foods clean. He went on, what comes out of a person is what defiles them. For it is from within, out of a person's heart, that evil thoughts come. Sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, malice, deceit, lewdness, envy, slander, arrogance and folly. 
all these evils come from inside and defile a person. So what truly defiles a person, what truly makes them unclean, it's not external things, but things of the heart. For it is from the heart that all kinds of evils flow. And all of us, uh, if we're honest with ourselves, must know that we carry with us this guilt of ours. You know, disregarding the wrong that we're blind to and, and, and totally unaware of. If we're true to ourselves, then all of us carry those dark secrets which would leave us mortified if they ever came out. If we're honest with ourselves, then we're all too aware of those times that we fail to do what we know is right. You know what the greatest problem uh, facing the world today is? It's not global warming. It's not the threat of a terrorist invasion or, or a possible nuclear outbreak. The greatest threat to humanity today is a guilty conscience before God. We're unclean before him. We are unholy. We are sinners before our perfect and holy God. And we know from Leviticus that the unclean need to be clean. So the question I want to ask us today is, are you clean? That is the critical question facing us in our world today. Have you had your heart cleansed? Have you had your guilty conscience cleansed? Have you been released from the burden and stain of sin? Because that is exactly what Jesus came to do. So have a look at Hebrews chapter 9 now. I'll read it out. Hebrews chapter 9 verse 13. The blood of goats and bulls and the ashes of a heifer sprinkled on those who are ceremonially unclean sanctify them so that they are outwardly clean. How much more then will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself unblemished to God, cleanse our consciences from acts that lead to death so that we may serve the living God. So Jesus' blood the blood of the good, perfect, righteous Son of God is the sacrifice for sins that cleanses us totally. Where the Old Testament sacrifices and, and holiness laws made someone clean on the outside and for a time, Jesus' sacrifice makes us clean on the inside. He cleanses us totally. He makes us wholly clean. So every selfish thought, deed and action is made clean by Jesus' sacrifice. So the guilty conscience that we might scrub and scrub and scrub away at on our own, it's wiped clean only with Jesus' sacrifice. So how is it that we become clean as those who live on this side of Jesus' death and resurrections? It's not with ceremonial washings or religious rituals. It is only through the precious blood of Jesus. Now, last Thursday, 31st of October, what day was it? Halloween. Yep, most of you probably knew that. But less of you probably knew that the 31st of October had also marked Reformation Day. So Reformation Day was to honour 
those great men who fought uh, so long ago and who fought so faithfully for the truth of the gospel. So have a listen to what one of those great men, Martin Luther, says about the moment that he discovered the freedom and cleansing that comes through Jesus. Have a look, it'll come up on the screen. There it is. I was a good monk and I kept my order so strictly that I could say that if ever a monk could get to heaven through monastic discipline, I was that monk. All my companions in the ministry would confirm this. And yet, my conscience would not give me certainty. But I always doubted and said, you didn't do that right. The more I tried to remedy an uncertain, weak and troubled conscience with human traditions, the more I daily found it more uncertain, weaker and more troubled. At last, by the mercy of God, meditating day and night, I began to understand that that the righteousness of God is that by which the righteous lives by a gift of God, namely, by faith. Here I felt that I was altogether born again and had entered paradise through open gates. Lovely quote there, right? And let us draw near and come to Jesus because in him is true and complete cleansing. And for us who have been cleansed, what are we to do? We're to live holy lives because that is who we are. Indeed, it is only those who have been made holy by the blood of Jesus who are able to live out a life of holiness. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word uh, this morning. And Lord, we thank you uh, so much for Christ who fulfills uh, these Old Testament laws. Lord, we know that tries we may on our own, we can't make ourselves clean before you. We know uh, that we're sinners and unholy and we know that we need your forgiveness and mercy. And we thank you so much uh, for Christ and for his perfect sacrifice. Uh, Lord, we pray that we would trust in that sacrifice to cleanse us of our guilt uh, before you. Because, Lord, that is our greatest problem. And, Lord, thank you that you've dealt with that in Jesus. And, Lord, for those of us who trust in Christ as Lord, as, as the Redeemer, Lord, help us to live holy lives which reflect his character. Lord, help us live and honour him with our whole lives. Amen.